Hey everyone, it's David Duchovny. Do you ever feel like a failure? Trust me, I get it. Hell, I've spent my whole life almost feeling like a failure. It's appropriate though, because on Fail Better, my new podcast with Lemonada Media, exploring the world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives is the whole point. Each week I'll chat with artists, athletes, actors, and experts about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, I hope we can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out on May 7th, wherever you get your podcasts. Happy 2024! New year, new you, right? Let me guess. You're thinking about joining a new gym, starting a fad diet, buying that... Theragun everyone's always yammering on about, <laughs> I've got a better idea. Listen to my podcast. I'm Samantha B, writer, comedian, and host of Choice Words from Lemonada Media. This whole month of January, we're going to help you make better choices in 2024. We'll go beyond superficial hacks and get at the truth of how to lead a more meaningful life. Just search for Choice Words on your podcast player of choice and hit follow so you don't miss an episode. Now that is a good choice. Lemonada. I'm Oha Lopez and this is I'm Sorry, a podcast about apologies. And this week I would like to uh, give a warm welcome to the woodland creatures that are gathering behind my house by the trash, aka the rats. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> you I, make them sound so fancy, woodland yeah. creatures. They're very cute, and I wish I could control them with my mind and my singing voice, but it hasn't quite happened yet. I'm not quite a princess. Yeah, and this is Mohamed al-Sheikhi, and uh, this week and every week, really, I need to start going on more walks because I have realized I haven't left the house in two days, and I am turning <laughs> into one of those rats that Oho is talking about. <laughs> you know, I don't need them. I mean, if, if I have rats in my... Apartments, they'll probably be roommates at this point. <laughs> Equals. And I'm Kiki Monique, and I actually left my apartment this week for probably the first time in a Brand. couple of days and went to a lovely dinner with our boss, one of our bosses, in my neighborhood at a restaurant I didn't even know existed, which was super fun. So I liked actually getting dressed up for the first time in probably a year and a half. <laughs> I'm glad you had that time. It was good. Yeah. It was good until, well, at the very end of the dinner, an alert popped up on the phone about Alec Baldwin shooting someone. And that was like an abrupt, weird way to end the dinner, because that is not an alert you expect to see on a random mm -hmm. Thursday night. Yeah. I'm assuming you've heard about this. Absolutely, yeah. yeah definitely. Yeah. And I the thing is like when I saw the headline for the first time and this is I guess a commentary about the the media in our country is just that it was written in a way that made you click on it because all it said is Alec Baldwin shot two people on set and that's it. And it's just yeah. like, okay, what does that mean? Because it made it sound like he just went crazy and just started shooting people. Yeah, exactly. Like, the you know, because all of the other headlines we've ever seen about Alec Baldwin in the past are something, you know, he's been angry at a paparazzi. He's yelling at his mm -hmm. daughter, all of these things. So, of course, they knew like, oh, Alec Baldwin shot someone. Okay, I'm easily going to click on it. 
But then it's like when you click on it and you read the story, no, this is a much, this is a tragic event. This isn't something that they should have used as clickbait headline. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this whole story, it, it, you know, I'm traumatized by it. And I can't even imagine the people on set yes. who were there who had to witness it, like what they're going to be dealing with, especially Alec. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, as I started like reading more details about it, it literally just gets sadder and sadder every time because like, I mean, we'll get into this because... Uh, other than the fact that a person died, which was the uh, director of photography. Yeah, Helena Hutchins. Yeah, and then the, uh, another person was also uh, shot, and he's he's making like a full recovery now, which is great. But then, you know, it evolved from a story of just like one person dying to a whole other story would like have so many layers about like how Hollywood treats crew members and uh, the rights of the people who work for like in movie sets and TV show sets and it's such a like a huge conversation that needs to happen you know it's very reminiscent of our like last year and a half in the pandemic right Mm -hmm. everyone kept talking about like it was the perfect storm of events all of these things that sort of happened within it right you know Mm -hmm. with George Floyd all of those things this felt very similar you know because I had been following online Kristen Bell and and Juliette Lewis and they have been two of the voices that have been you know what they call for the below the line workers I don't like that term I mean I'd rather just say the crew and you know all the people behind the scenes who are making these movies happen yeah you know they were Basically saying, we need to get them better better care, better labor rights, all of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, when you go on set, a lot of times, you might go on at 7 a.m. not knowing you're not going to leave until 7 a.m. the next day. And like most people who work, that is not, that's not a reality. You go to work, you end at a certain time. But what is happening is like they're working these long hours. You know, people are falling asleep, you know, on the road. And they're just not getting the protections uh, that you would expect in an industry this huge. So behind all of this happening is there was about to be like the first strike. And I think the 128 year period of this like, you know, union, um, I think the union is IA. IATSC. Yeah. So it was about to be the first strike in 128 years. And this is going on. As this uh, movie set for Russ, which is being shot in New Mexico. So this, this this movie, which Alec Baldwin is starring in, he's also a producer on this film. Mm-hmm. So they're shooting this film. They just started shooting it in, uh, at the beginning of October. And basically, it sounded like during one of the rehearsals, Alec is handed a gun and it is told cold gun by the assistant director, uh, Dave Hall. So he's handed this gun off of a cart that had been prepared by this really young assistant, Hannah. And Alec gets the gun and shoots it and ends up shooting Helena Hutchins, who's 42. She's a cinematographer and the film's director, Joel Salza. Um, Helena is shot in the chest. Joel, I don't know where he shot. They're both, uh, taken immediately to the hospital. Helena has to get airlifted to like the only you know place in New Mexico that has a level one facility and ends up dying. Um, the Joel, the director, he ends up being released that day. He's going to make a full recovery. Mm-hmm. And so this is where it all starts. And it's like, this is already tragic enough. Alec Baldwin has to now live with the rest of his life knowing that he accidentally killed somebody, which mm-hmm. is already horrible enough. Everyone on set 
had to witness that. But then as details start coming out about the story, it just gets even more sad because this was 100% preventable. First of all, this is not the type of job that you expect to go to work, right? And you don't expect to come home. If you were to get in a car accident on the way to this job, it would be sad, but you would even, you could wrap your head around it a little bit or, you know, you're in a plane, but you don't expect to go on set and not come home to your husband and kid that day because people weren't doing their job, essentially. And that's what it comes down to. Yeah. It's worth mentioning, I think, that Russ starts as a low-budget indie film. And that, you know, I think we don't really understand how insurance premiums work and how they actually, you know, prepare for safety on these Mm -hmm. sets. But I think we should kind of, like, go through the entire process of, you know, how it actually kind of happened. So, Kiki, I guess my question in general is more like, what went wrong? Because we, I guess we don't know all the safety issues or what it is to have a gun on set. Yeah, Clearly, something happened that wasn't supposed to happen. So do you know the difference? Um, like what was supposed to happen versus what actually did? Well, I did end up deep in um, prop master TikTok, you know, when I was <laughs> yeah. reading the story. Because like, yeah. you know, there is there's certain very niche elements of TikTok. Um, and one of the the prop masters, his name is Scott Reader. He did a TikTok that sort of really explained like what is supposed to happen when you have a gun on set. Let's take a listen. First and foremost, most important protocol is no live ammo on the set. No live rounds. A live round is a cartridge with a slug in it, a bullet that can kill someone. It appears that rule was breached. And next, once you have your cart set up with your guns, you do not leave it unintended. You always have someone with their eyes on it from your department. Um, from what I've read, the first assistant director walked outside of the set to the weapons cart and grabbed one of three weapons that were sitting there on a cart that was unattended. That's a breach. And the next breach in protocol is the first AD grabbing a gun. No one should grab a gun except the armor or the prop master. They were using Western revolvers. And when we do that, we use real revolvers. And we use blanks for when there's gunfire. And then we use dummy rounds. You shake them, there are BBs inside where black powder normally would be. And if you're following protocol, you would take your dummy rounds into the set with an empty gun. You go to the first assistant director, clear the gun first. You run a rod through the barrel to where they see the orange tip come out the other end of the barrel. They know that it's clear. Then you show them all the cylinder holes, they're empty. The gun is clear. Hand the dummy rounds to the assistant director, and he shakes each one. He hears the BBs, hands you a round, you put it in the gun, the same way for all six. It's ultimately on the first assistant director to confirm that that gun is safe. But none of that happened. First of all, there's never supposed to be live rounds on set set. at Mm. all. So that's like first thing. And then second is... When there is an actual like handgun, because in some cases they have to use handguns. And for this particular movie, it's supposed to be set in like the 1800s. And so they needed like a vintage rifle. And the shot was where, you know, the camera is looking down the barrel of the gun. So you can see the rounds in the chamber, which is why they had to have, you know, an actual gun. Because, you know, in my head, I'm always like, don't we have CG? But again, this is a low budget film. They don't have the budget for CG and all that. So they're looking down the barrel of this gun. And so what is supposed to happen, according to, you know, this TikTok I watch, 
you clear out the chamber with like, there's like some like stick thing you stick in it before. So it really makes sure that there's nothing in there. On top of it, the gun is never supposed to be left alone at any time on the set. So like Mm. at all times, someone has eyes, hands on this gun, which it sounds like that wasn't happening. There's also supposed to be like a union. I think there's like an armorer is what they refer to them on set. And they have to be in the union. And it basically, all of these things are in place. And anyone like Helena assumes that these are happening right behind the scenes, because if everyone's doing their job, if the armor's doing their job, nobody's, you know, let the gun out of their sight and there's not live rounds. There's no reason that you shouldn't be able to point a gun at a camera and pull the trigger for for a scene. And it seems like those things absolutely didn't happen because what we also know, and this is based on, you know, crew who was on the set, Mm -hmm. who started speaking to the media is because of this strike that was happening in the background and because they ended up, the union did strike a temporary deal, a tentative deal. The crew members who already were saying that there were already unsafe conditions on the set. Now, supposedly there were two other misfires of a gun that had already happened prior to this. Jesus. So because of this, the crew members were like, we don't feel safe on this set. And now they've made a deal and we don't feel like we're going to get any of our, you know, requests met if we don't do a walk off. So they had done a walk off that morning. They showed up to set that morning, packed up all their stuff and walked off. And they were replaced by non-union staff to end up shooting the day. So that was like already a mistake. You have guns on set and you have people who aren't trained, who are now working at last minute because, you know, your union staff walked off. Huge mistake. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. After season one aired, I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. And of course, my 90-year-old mom, Judy. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me Season 2 is out now from Lemonada Media. (music) 
so Kiki, who is Helena Hutchins? I feel like I've heard this name over and over again. Obviously, a tragedy has occurred, but I'd love to know more about her. Yeah, I mean, she was, I mean, this is like a male dominated industry, right? So she stood out already as being, you know, a woman in this industry. She, you know, everyone kept saying she's a rising star in this industry. She had just done like uh, an action movie, I think with Joe Manganiello, like called like Arch Enemy or something. She was actually born in Ukraine, but she studied at the AFI and she was named Rising Star by American Cinematographer Magazine in 2019. Uh, So she was really coming into her own. She'd been married 16 years to her husband, who is an attorney, and they had a nine-year-old son. Yeah. It truly is like an absolute tragic situation. And I know they did create like a GoFundMe to raise money for Hutchins' family. And there's also a scholarship fund in her name. We'll put a link in the show notes, but there are ways that you can kind of support their family and uh so when the crew walked off set she stayed there right and like it's again a testament to like how we as women right like we put up with so much shit just to like be able to fucking have a career sometimes you know because one of the actors who knew her uh at the candlelight vigil for her said that you know even after losing her whole crew who had walked off in protest she stayed because she felt the responsibility for everyone else's job there yeah you know which we glamorize this and i want to commend her for it and i want to commend all women who are strong and and work in these environments but it's also like she lost her life not because of that in particular, but it's one of the decisions that led to that. And I mean, when we talk about death, it just so easily gets philosophical. But in this case, it's like when you can just see step by step to how this happened, it makes it all the more frustrating that it could have not happened. Exactly. Yeah. And the thing is like, there is no movie that is worth losing anyone's lives over it, period. You know, because I feel like there's this whole culture of, uh, trying to save as much money as possible in making any movie, really, not just low budget, like anything. Because there's this whole idea of that you can like make an Oscar-nominated movie with just your iPhone. So I feel like everyone is striving to do that, even if it, you know, even if it put some people's lives in danger, the, the thinking behind it is just like, well, it's worth it, though, because, you know, like you have to have some risks, I mean, no one imagines someone dying, but still, you know, like, you should be, like, risking stuff in order to make this stuff happen. And I know you said, like, no one really expects that they're not going to go home from a job like that. That is what it should be. But I feel like, I don't know if you guys saw that account that was, like, posting all of these stories like from like crew members and what it was an instagram account it's like ia underscore stories it was started by ben gottlieb who i think he was like a lighting guy who worked behind the scenes and he had started this well before but exactly yeah and the thing is like as you read these stories it's just like oh i think those people are just like always thought that there's a high chance that they won't make it home from the set wow yeah because of the ways that they're being treated because like there's so many stories about people like literally falling asleep while like they're driving because you know they're they're working all day they don't get enough time to sleep they don't get to do anything so once you learn about all of that as much as it is tragic that someone died on set 
now knowing all of these facts it doesn't mm-hmm. really surprise me exactly this is what is going to happen because yeah. of all of this setup it reminds me too of like if you look at a movie as like a microcosm of society too mm-hmm. which is like you have people at the top and then you have your you know your least favorite line kiki is like below the line and the people who are usually affected in society are people who are technically below the line Mm -hmm. uh, out in the world you know what I mean it's usually impoverished people people who make the least amount of money who work hourly who work in curating an experience or in creating the foundation so that other people can kind of enjoy their lives somewhat and to a certain extent I see the crew in that same stratosphere where's the sense of like these people matter less they're sort of like the plebe there's just a lot of them and we can replace them quickly if one doesn't want to do this horrible work that we've set out for them and I think it turns into this thing of like again big big production houses or even at this point is the pressure is put on the people that are at the bottom to make up the bottom line for the people that are at the top and i mean we've seen that negatively affect us in the real world so it makes perfect sense that it does in in on a movie set as well you know when you're at the top of a call sheet like alec baldwin I, I can imagine that he would have one set of experiences on set, but then he's also a producer. So yeah. he's sort of part of the of the waterfall culture. Where it's like the decisions that he's making at the top are permeating and affecting people at the bottom, mm-hmm. um, which also bears to mention that as I was looking about what the movie is about, it actually is about a 13 year old that's convicted of an accidental murder. And the whole actual premise of the movie is about somebody accidentally killing somebody and then being sentenced based on that accident. And so, as usual, it feels like Hollywood is this mixture of like real life meeting kind of like the tragic circumstances, you know, on a movie set. But in in terms of the safety piece, I mean, the stories that I was reading on the Instagram about people falling asleep, about like the culture of safety being annoying for people on set, like it doesn't, people don't really care about the safety piece, I guess, because it doesn't, it almost like goes against the bottom line. You know, it's like the safety piece actually slows things down for for kind of the money making yeah. part of movies. Yeah, people get annoyed at you if you bring something like that up because now you're they're you're requiring them to do more stuff and it's just like what well there's a reason to why that is because you don't want someone to be accidentally shot. Yeah, and I feel like, you know, it's unfortunate that like tragedy has to happen for like things to make change but like this is like this is the society we live in this is the culture we live in where until something major happens it's like it starts out as this sensational story of alec baldwin you know shooting two people on set and like so much more comes out of it which i think will ultimately help the industry you know but of course because it started as this sensational story and Alec Baldwin is the face of it. Of course, he is the first one that has to come out essentially and apologize, which all he can do is sort of tweet. Um, Mohanan, can you read what Alec wrote? Yeah, it says, you know, there are no words to convey my shock and sadness regarding the tragic accident that took life of Helena Hutchins, a wife, mother, and deeply admired colleagues of ours. I'm fully cooperating with the police investigation to address how this tragedy occurred and I am in touch with her husband, offering my support to him and his family. My heart is broken for her husband, their son, and all who knew and loved Helena. And so, you know, of course, that was 
the expected thing to come out, uh, you know, immediately after the shooting. Mm -hmm. But then because of the tragedy surrounding it and people feeling like, no, this isn't the reason. Like Alec Baldwin is not the reason this happened. And like, I think they wanted to make that very clear. Like he was also a victim in this and like that needs to be addressed. And so this sort of like, fallout and aftermath afterwards is where we start hearing all of the details of like all of the things that had gone wrong on set. So like even leading up to, you know, before the shooting crew members who had been promised, you know, hotel rooms to like stay the night, like were suddenly, no, we don't have rooms for you. And they're like, so you want us working, you know, 14, 18 hour days and then sleeping in our cars on set. Like that's really the response. And again, these two misfirings that supposedly happened before they were not feeling like, I don't want to be here, but they were also like, this is my career. This is my job. I mean, people, you know, usually people in this career, they've been thinking about this for a long time. Like they're willing to like, you know, make no money for years just to get in because Hollywood is such a, right? Like a protected industry. It's like, there's so much nepotism. It's who knows who. And that's another layer on top of this because you get these jobs and you kind of are protected. You're like in it for life. It's almost like there's like a gatekeeping that happens. Like they don't pass on a lot of knowledge, you know, and the people at the top of these positions get complacent. And this is where all of that safety goes out the window because the, you know, assistant director Dave Halls, who is the one who handed Alec the gun, you know, after the shooting, someone who worked with Dave on a previous set claims that he didn't ever do any safety meetings. He really didn't care about safety. And I didn't really feel comfortable when I was working on this on a totally different set with him. That's so wild. It, it definitely continues to kind of it coordinates with a lot of what I've been hearing in terms of like that a lot of people had to make a mistake in order for this to happen, you know? Mm -hmm. And when that is the case, it's a culture thing. It's not a specifically one individual. It's it's almost like the trouble was brewing and it was all kind of leading up to this pinnacle of this shot where he's directly facing a human being, probably a shot where they should have been the most careful of all. And then this happens. And yes, you can tack it back to like the lack of safety meetings on the set. You can tack it to the union camera crew leaving. You can tack it on to these, you know, to the fact that it's a low budget movie and at the same time, it's like, that's happening all over. These mm -hmm. movies are being made in the same way all over the place. And it's a serious, serious culture issue. Yeah. And I really hope that the that the IATSE thing really sort of like comes to a head. And I hope that this propels them to ask for even more things because it only accentuates how important the crew is and how easily things can go wrong. Hi, I'm June Diane Raphael. And I'm Jessica St. Clair. And each week we are sitting down to talk all about life's twists, turns, and absurdities on The Deep Dive. 
From exploring the depths of TikTok, which is our only news source, to navigating the complexities of grief and loss, we are just two best friends behind a mic processing life together. This podcast is all about finding the silver linings in the madness. So get ready for unfiltered conversations about motherhood, careers, pop culture, and everything in between. Here at The Deep Dive, we're all about community. We believe in the power of sharing experiences and the strength that comes from supporting one another. And we would love to have you with us. So be sure to join us every Wednesday on The Deep Dive from Lemonada Media, wherever you get your podcasts. Do you ever get hit with a cringy memory of your 13-year-old self out of nowhere and suddenly you're panic sweating and laughing at the same time? Don't, don't worry, don't worry. We all get that. It's because being an adolescent is one of the most visceral shared experiences we have as people. And we want to talk about it. Join me, Penn Badgley, and my two friends, Nava and Sophie, on Podcrushed as we interview celebrity guests about the joys and horrors of being a teenager and how those moments made them who they are today. New episodes of Podcrush are out now wherever you get your podcasts. One of the most like chilling things I read was, you know, a bunch of investors who were on the film. There was like seven production companies who had invested in this film. And one of the production companies was this Streamline Global company. Mm-hmm. And they had... They the had, name already is bad. <laughs> bad right? Bad. <laughs> And they had done this, uh, like, one, you know, one of the people who I think was the co-founder, someone had done an interview for Variety. And one of the most chilling lines I read was, films are the byproduct of the comprehensive tax planning strategies we employ for our clients. So it says that Streamline Global founded this company in order to use films produced with production tax incentives as vehicles to create tax breaks for wealthy investors. So essentially, the people behind the scenes are like, okay, we got to get the best return on investment for the people on the film. So how do we make that happen? Well, this is how it happens is that you don't pay people You make them work long hours, you know, no overtime, unpaid. You don't provide, you know, housing for them. They sleep in their cars or they have to drive after working these 18-hour shifts and falling asleep at the wheel. And again, the people who are doing this are like, I'm doing it for the art. Whereas like these people could care less if you put like a shit on a screen, it seems, if it made money. These movies, these TV shows, all of these things, like, would not happen without these people. Like, it's not the actors, it's not the writers, it's it's literally the people on set making things happen and making this magic. And without them, there's nothing. Nothing will happen. Nothing will get done. So the whole thing about just, they should be just thankful to be part of this Hollywood experience is such an insane thing, because it's just like, it's truly not worth it if you're not being you know treated well and like have your rights and the first right being uh, able to go home at the end of the yeah. day you know it does seem like the last industry that does that like i don't i mean i'm sure that there's others but it's like the last sort of like current modern industry where i found it normal for people to be working 18 hour days i don't know of anything else you know not just normal i think it's just like in the entertainment industry in general we do like 
romanticize the struggle of it you know in mm-hmm. in every aspect of it like not even just you know not even the crew members just like even the you know the writers the performers and everything you have to have like you know you struggle and you go through a lot in order for like beautiful art to come out and i think that's what needs to be addressed as well it's just like no people that can actually like live uh, really good lives and not suffer mentally and things will still get done and they will be as beautiful. That's what's the ironic part is because the people who are putting in on those hours because they believe like whatever it takes to make this beautiful piece of art, I am willing to like blood, sweat and tears put it in. But the people who are financing these films are taking advantage of that fact exactly because they want you to like work yourself to the bone so that Mm -hmm. they can be the most profitable yeah exactly they truly do not care and that's why i feel like we also have like a lot of like (laughs) you know i mean aside from all of this a lot of like bad tv coming out because it's just you know it's it generates a lot of income and a lot of money and so at the end of the day art is not the is not the message that is conveyed here it's you know how much money these people can make how much tax breaks that they can get and and all of that and then you know and then you pay crew members nothing yeah it's definitely like it, it on a on a larger scale it reminds me of the idea that like we have been consuming content like crazy that all these things are made to fulfill like a voracious appetite for the amount of movies the award systems like all of those things that kind of fuel each other mm-hmm. and it definitely feels like we're putting everything on the line and continually at the expense of human beings getting the things that we want in America. (laughs) Yeah. It's like the land of like consuming Netflix and consuming products that we have no idea where they come from or who has to suffer in order for them to actually exist. And this podcast in general, a lot of what I come to or the conclusions that I come to almost every time we talk about these apologies is that it's just such big systemic forces that are included in whether or not people are willing to take responsibility for what happened on that set, what happens in the news cycle, what happens all over. And I'm just glad that these organizations are finally saying like raising a huge red flag on the working environment in Hollywood and this is a really sad and unfortunate sort of like pinnacle to the very worst case scenario of what can happen when you just allow this to run rampant you know yeah I mean I actually want to offer an apology because I mean during the lockdown I remember getting so angry that enough content wasn't being produced for me (laughs) and I'm sitting at home like, where where are the shows? I need something to watch. Come on, people. Let's make it happen. Mm -hmm. And oh, my God, how greedy of me, you know, because now we're at a place where now people are getting back to work. They're having to catch up on all of that, right? The content that wasn't being made during the Mm -hmm. lockdown. So there's all that work for that. Plus, you know, again, there's an app for everything. There's content like that needs to be generated for all of these different outlets at all of these times. But yet we don't have people who are being trained or paid to learn the industry and like you said, just like, can you make this uh, Oscar winning film on an iPhone? Okay, great. So here's what I'll give you an intern and an iPhone. <laughs> yeah. 
is definitely like maybe we can start internally by like adjusting our expectations of films and turnaround. And I I remember I just got angry when I found out that the second part of Dune is probably not going to come out until the end of 2023 or 2024. (laughs) I'm like, well, what am I going to do for the next three years? Are you freaking kidding me? And then at the same time, I'm like, oh, it's actually one of the largest undertakings is to make something, is to make anything. Just this podcast is so much work, you guys. And it's always like this feeling of like, we forget the building blocks of how things happen. And um, one of the things that I was really interested in too with this on the strike and um, IAT, I'm going to, it's going to fumble every time it comes out of my mouth. I-A-T-S-E. Uh, some of the things that they're actually asking for, it's living wages, mm-hmm. uh, working conditions for streaming. So not making a differentiation between like streaming platforms and these indie films or these films from, you know, major production houses, things like meal period penalties, which is a huge thing that I'd never heard of either is people, companies or people who are making movies, they have to pay a fee if some if one of their employees or a penalty if one of their employees misses lunch, but they have found that it's more profitable to pay those penalties than to actually allow their employees to take their lunch breaks. So what happens is they just pay the penalties and people have to work through their lunch breaks. And so part of it, again, the strike is increasing these meal period penalties to where it's not feasible for companies. They're going to be actually hurting in the pocket if they make an employee skip food. Weekend rest periods from like 54 to 32 hours, a whole thing of, of sick leave benefits to their entire community. It's basic things that a lot of Americans already have. Exactly, yeah. And right? Like, that's yeah. like, I thought they were, you would think they were being asking for something, you know. No, it's just a normal working environment. And when you're under that much pressure, of course accidents are going to happen. Like, it's almost like a miracle exactly, that this doesn't yeah. happen every single movie that they have. Exactly, and I mean, it's normal. Like, look at the, you know, airlines industry. If you're like a flight attendant or like a pilot or something and you flew for like, I don't know how many hours, you have to have at least, you know, a 48 hours rest or something after like each flight or so and that's just you know very normal no one complains about it but then like this is also a term that i just like learned which is like turnaround time and it turns out you know turnaround time is basically you know how to go home and come back to set and they only have 10 hours and most of these people are like usually movie sets and all are like not in the city they're like kind of further away so Mm. if i drive for an hour to get there and I drive for an hour back I literally have eight hours so I'm just supposed to go to sleep the second I get home <laughs> immediately down and this is sustained <laughs> this is over a six-month period exactly. a year-long period some movies take two years to film I just can't even imagine I, I can't even imagine the level of work and and pressure that goes into being on a set like that exactly yeah yeah I mean and so it, it's you know the the shooting happened six hours after the union camera crew left. So it's, you know, and there was no union prop master on set. Like, again, all of these things that are happening. Obviously, like, there's going to be continuing investigations and no charges have been filed. And, you know, it's unlikely that Alec will be charged criminally because, again, this is this wasn't Alec's fault. This was like a bunch of things that happened and he is just as much of a victim 
But I will say that there is a, a chance because he is a producer on this film, if he was contributing to this environment in any way, that is where he's definitely going to get caught up, right? Because if he was trying to, you know, make the most money and was okaying the fact that they were bringing in these non-union workers or, or having people sleep, you know, in their cars and working these hours, because that ultimately mm-hmm. is is the crime here. All of those things combined is what contributed to this death. Exactly. Yeah. And I feel like that's the point a lot of like the media and like the people are missing on. It's just like, this is not about Alec Baldwin, like, you know being a criminal or not. And you don't have to be an Alec Baldwin fan to, you know, admit that he, I mean, it's an accident. It's fucked up that that happened. It's, it's a fucking tragedy. But, you know, it's it's that's not what this is about. This is not about him. This is not about just Alec Baldwin, just about, you know, a systemic issue in the industry and just in general, like, you know, workers' rights in general, which is like a whole other conversation. But I don't know. I just feel like people like need to have more, you know, more compassion to, you know, the people who make their favorite stuff. And, you know, if you want better movie, you want better shows, you probably also want to start with uh, giving these people better lives. And uh, it's kind of like eventually will trickle down into what you're watching. So I know that, yeah, so I know that there's going to be a vote coming up, you know, again, the motion picture, like the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television had made a tentative deal with the IATSE. And, you know, they were calling it like a Hollywood deal, like everything's great. But like some people felt like they still weren't getting their demands met. But this deal can't go through until the union votes on it. So hopefully something good will come out of this tragedy in that, like, let's push back, you know, until all of the demands are met that makes everyone feel safe on set. We're not going to sign a deal. And that's it. And now it's time for my favorite segment, Sorry, Not Sorry. I'm going to start with Kiki. Uh, what's up this week? What's new? Um, I need to apologize to uh, people who are in D.C. I used to live in D.C. And today uh, we found out that Colin Powell passed away. Um, Very sad. You know, he was an awesome dude. And when I was in D.C. and I would be drinking and I'd be at a bar and there'd be strangers. For some reason, I used to lie that Colin Powell was my dad. No idea why it would just be funny because it was like he was this like powerful guy in D.C. And I was black and nobody would ever question it. And it would just be a thing I would tell strangers and then I would just like go home the next day, forget about it. And so um, I want to apologize to anyone who thinks that I lost my father today because I did not. My father is alive and well because my father is not <laughs> Colin Powell. So I'm sorry. Oh, uh, so much to unpack with that. Uh, Kiki, well, uh, I would highly recommend not checking any of my tweets today. <laughs> About Colin Powell, but uh, I'm glad oh, he's... Oh, yeah, stay away, I'm baby. Glad, <laughs> I'm glad he's not your father, though. <laughs> anyway, oh, uh, what's, what's up this week? Okay, today, my apology. I'm going to apologize because I recently got into a fight, guess with who? My partner, because uh, she continually insists to interrupt my real-life conversations to show me memes on her phone. To which I respond with a violent swat down saying, I'm busy right now speaking to a human person. And then she got upset at that and said, well, memes are really important to me and I really need you to partake in this part of my life. Um, and that was a real argument that we had. 
And so I just want to apologize to her for not really being able to see how valuable and important they are and how big of a part of their, you know, her life. And I I would like to share in that more. I mean, who doesn't want to see memes? I think you're very wrong here. Yeah. Yeah, no. And I was in the middle of a conversation with my friend who was maybe crying because something like emotional was happening to her, which was then interrupted by a cackle and then a phone being shoved in my face. But again, I'm sorry. I mean, meme is literally made up of the words me, me. So exactly. if somebody is showing you a meme, pay attention. Me, me. Yeah, to them. Yeah. Uh, again, my bad. Um, I'll go back and, you know, sleep on that and come back with a different feeling. Yeah. Well, we live and we learn. Uh, and you're wrong. So I'm glad you apologized. <laughs> Well, uh, who do I want to apologize to? Obviously, uh, one of my neighbors who live in the building. I'm truly... <laughs> Always. I'm truly oh just destroying everyone's lives every day. You know, I, I, I just came back from, from traveling like two days ago and I arrived like 12 a.m. And I was with someone in the elevator. And, you know, I live on the 10th floor. So I just clicked on it, you know, and then the other person pressed on something else. And then when we got to the floor, that person left and I left right behind them. You know, it's, it's, you know, we both live on the same floor, I guess. And then I walked to where my apartment is and I uh, tried to open the door and it just wouldn't open. So I just like, you know, so I ring the doorbell. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) And then someone came out and just like, literally just like woke up from sleep and was just like, what, what? Oh and I was God. just like, oh, this is definitely the wrong floor. <laughs> <laughs> Again, you're just walking through life, just doing your yep. own thing. And I was so wow. tired. I didn't even bother explaining. I was like, I'm sorry, whatever. And just walked away. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, my apologies to them. At least I didn't like knock very hard on the door or something. or like started yelling. I don't know. I'm glad the door wasn't open. Imagine if it was open and you just went in. Oh, that's going to be oh a problem. I mean, yeah. I'm surprised they yeah. even open. Like, I'm one of those people that if I get a knock on the door and I d- I'm not expecting anyone, like, I turn off lights, I hide behind couch. I do not like <laughs> oh, unexpected yeah. knocks. It's the most terrifying thing in the world. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Honestly, that's that's all my friendships that you're describing. So that might be difficult. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I'm going to go show up at this person's house. Oh, I'm glad you live uh, in a different state then, because I would be so <laughs> mad at you. <laughs> I just imagine myself outside of Kiki's home going, Kiki, do you love Kiki? me? No, bitch, get me? out of here. And Kiki's turning off lights and is underneath her covers like, oh, my God, there is this fucking psychopathic <laughs> woman who wants to be my friend outside of my house. Um, yeah, love languages. They're just different. <laughs> I'm Sorry is a Lemonada Media original. The show is produced by Alex McCohen. Supervising producer is Chrissy Pease. Our executive producers are Stephanie Whittles Wax and Jessica Cordova Kramer. Our mix is by Kat Yor, and theme music was composed by Xander Singh. If you like this show, please rate and review. And please don't cancel us. You can find out more about our show at Lemonada Media on all social platforms or follow us on Instagram at I'm sorry underscore podcast. We'll be back next week. And until then, be nice, play fair and always say I'm sorry. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm feminist Erin Gibson. And I'm homosexual Brian Safi. 
And we're the co-hosts of the Attitudes Podcast. Where we talk about LGBT plus issues, gender issues, and pop culture. Probably with much less respect than they deserve. Look, it's a wild world, and we want to help you laugh at it. Plus, we discuss everything going on in our lives. Like, what do you do when your husband accidentally starts a fire in a dumpster? And the best armpit slapping techniques to get rid of the bags under your eyes. Thanks for the advice, Mom. And of course, how to spin a wig around to achieve a brand new look. Ah, stunning. So if you're a fan of high heel shoe chairs or have a crippling fear of hot air balloons, but also believe in social justice, then this show's for you. Listen to Attitudes anywhere you get your podcasts. People love to pretend that there are simple formulas for living your best life now. Eat this and you won't get sick. Manifest it and everything will work out. But there are some things you can choose and some things you can't. And it's okay that life isn't always getting better. I'm Kate Bowler, and on Everything Happens, I speak with kind, smart, funny people about life as it really is. Beautiful, terrible, and everything in between. Let's be human together. Everything Happens is available wherever you get your podcasts.